Hello and welcome to the season finale of the Just Cause podcast, a six-part series of podcasts brought to you by the Granite Exchange. I'm your host, Sarah Henry, and throughout this brand new podcast series, I will be speaking to some amazing people doing incredible work to support Just Causes across Northern Ireland. I'll be speaking with Northern Ireland charities to learn more about the very important work that they do and how they've been affected by the recent global pandemic. So, wherever you get your podcast from, remember to keep an eye out for new episodes over the next six weeks and subscribe to stay up to date. So today I am absolutely delighted to be joined by Liz Cuddy, the CEO of Southern Area Hospice Services. Welcome, Liz, to the podcast. Thank you, Sarah. I'm delighted Great. to be here. On this drizzly Friday. <laughs> Come all the way fr- down. Awful Friday. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, before we begin, I'm sure many, many of our, our listeners are familiar with the services that are provided by Southern Area Hospice Services, but just a little bit of a background. So the Southern Area Hospice Services is a vital charity to the people of the Southern Trust Area. It provides specialist palliative and end-of-life care to patients with life-limiting conditions, including cancer, multiple sclerosis and motor neuron disease. The main aim of the hospice is to help patients and their families who have received palliative diagnosis live well with their condition. For those who don't know what this care means, it's care to help people live as well as they can with their condition until the end of their lives. The services are available to adults who live primarily within the Southern Trust area, including the main towns in the area, Newry, Armagh, Banbridge, Craigavon and Dungannon. The hospice opened its doors in September 1989 as a six-bedded inpatient unit in Newry. It now offers a 14-bed inpatient unit based in Newry with services in South Throne Hospital, Dungannon Craigavon Area Hospital, Daisy Hill Hospital, Newry. They also have therapy centres in Newry and Dungannon that provide support and a range of services, including complementary services to patients. The hospice also offers bereavement support to families and carers through group bereavement support sessions, bereavement walking groups and bereavement drop-in services in Newry and Dungannon. The Southern Area Hospice Services relies heavily on the generosity of local people and the support of volunteers who help staff deliver services in many ways from patient care to fundraising to raising awareness about our work. All services are provided free of charge and the charity relies on approximately 70p in every pound coming from income generation activities to enable them to care and support patients and their families. This year, with continuous increasing operating costs, they have an ambitious fundraising target of 3.1 million to maintain the level of care currently available. So that's an insight, I suppose, a small <laughs> insight into what the, uh, the um, service provides. But where would we be without, without it in this region? But first, to get to you, Liz, um, thank you so much again for joining us. It's great to have you. And just to let our readers know, Liz is here. Um, Liz received an OBE um, in 2018 as recognition of her services to the social and affordable housing sector in Northern Ireland. And in April this year, Liz was appointed Deputy Lieutenant of County Tyrone. So Liz, just before we get into the organisation, tell us a little bit about yourself um, and uh, let our listeners have a little bit of background about your work and what you like to do outside of work even, if you want. So firstly, to explain the County Tyrone reference, given that we're sitting in County Down, um, I actually live in Dungannon, so um, it's, it's good to live in the area that the Southern Area Hospice Services uh, cover, but um, yeah. I'm a County Tyrone person. County Tyrone person. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, a little bit about me. I'm mum to four grown-up children. 
who still managed to keep me busy and entertained. <laughs> um, I'm also a granny to a beautiful and extremely funny two-year-old uh, girl. And she's been a source of constant joy and it's helped keep us all going through the sure. pandemic. She doesn't understand coronavirus, which is great. Amazing. <laughs> Um, I took up the role of CEO of Southern Area Hospice Services in July 2017 and I'm absolutely privileged to be the Chief Executive of uh, the local community hospice in this area. Um, people can't see me on the podcast, but um, the polite way of saying that I'm getting old is that I'm reasonably well progressed <laughs> through my career. Um, I started off as a staff nurse. Um, I took a career break when my uh, children were very young. Um, I then changed direction slightly and over the intervening years have run a daycare service for children and worked in various roles in several charities providing services in health, education and the justice sectors. And for almost 15 years now, I've worked in senior management positions, mostly in, in charities. So people would say to me, you know, how do you work in a hospice? It must be a really sad place to be. Mm -hmm. And the answer I give in various forms is we're working with people with life limiting conditions and their families at a time that is very challenging and often sad for them. It is a privilege to offer care, comfort and support in these circumstances. We can make a real difference to patients and their families at possibly one of the worst times in their lives. I'm working with a great team and that obviously helps. Uh, knowing someone with a life-limiting condition is unfortunately a reality for us all at some point in our lives. I don't have much spare time at the minute. Um, but I, when I do, I do provide some coaching services to senior managers across various sectors. I like to walk. I like to spend time uh, with my family and my granddaughter. And I love the North Coast. So I'm on Port Stewart Strand as often oh. as I can be. <laughs> Absolutely beautiful. And I'm sure it's important. You're extremely busy, but it's nice to kind of get that headspace as well, you know, and spend time with your family. And it's great that you're entertained then by a little two-year-old of a two-year-old myself. So I know what it's <laughs> what it's like to have that little person in the family. So that's fantastic. So just, um, I suppose, in your own words, I mean, we gave our kind of description there of um, the Southern Area Hospice Services, but... What, how do you, I mean, how do you uh, would describe the services that they provide and I suppose, you know, the, the necessary nature of that as well to the local community and people here? Okay, so um, hospice care is more a philosophy of care than one actual physical thing. So our aim is to help patients live well with their condition and you made reference to that. But it's also to help families deal with the impact of a pilot of diagnosis that they may have within their family circle. So by using the term living well, we mean helping people with life-limiting conditions to live the best life that they can. So it's living mm -hmm. with their condition and it's about living their all aspects of their life uh, with uh, their condition. But it also includes things like memory, memory making and making choices about how they want to manage each stage of their illness. The inpatient unit is based in Yerry, mm -hmm. and for those who may not know it, it's located on Courtney Hill. It's a 60-year-old building mm -hmm. uh, and uh, aims to provide the best possible palliative and end-of-life care to patients. We also offer respite and support to patients with advanced illnesses such as cancer, multiple sclerosis and motor neuron disease mm -hmm. in our day therapy units, which you two also mentioned, Sarah, earlier on. Mm -hmm. 
We have a team of expert staff and volunteers who provide wraparound support for the patient's physical, emotional and social needs. And this includes the medical team, the nursing team, social workers, physios, chaplains and all our support service teams such as housekeeping and maintenance and catering. So the hospice also offers services in South Tyrone Hospital in Dungannon and uh, we have uh, some services in Craigavon Hospital and Daisy Hill Hospital where we help um, support the palliative care teams there. So a diagnosis of palliative care gives many people the opportunity to plan Mm -hmm. and the hospice staff are trained and equipped to help people discuss their fears, their wishes and to manage emotionally and spiritually. So we ensure that care is centred around individuals' wishes and needs and we understand that everyone's palliative and end-of-life needs will be different. So it's really Mm person-centred care that we offer. So it takes many different professions to make up the hospice teams delivering support to our patients and their families. Mm -hmm. Bereavement services uh, is a very important part of what we offer. And pre-COVID-19, if we can remember back to (laughs) pre-COVID, we offered a six-week session for families families who had experienced losing someone in the hospice. Currently, we're running our bereavement drop-in session on an appointment basis in Newry on the first Wednesday of the month. Um, With the current situation, these services are more important than ever. Uh, The pandemic has led to many people spending many time apart from their families Mm -hmm. and friends and that makes living with a palliative condition more difficult Mm -hmm. and it also makes grieving more difficult. I can imagine. We've had people in as well, Liz, who, you know, represent mental health charities, domestic violence and again, uh, there's no escaping the difficulties Mm -hmm. that the pandemic poses um, in terms of vulnerable people. But in your case as well, I mean, families, huge families have been affected, particularly when their loved one, you know, has received the services. And then, of course, Mm -hmm. they're not able to avail of the the full range, essentially, of the bereavement package that's there um, of support for them. But um, I mean, it's fantastic that the the, you know, the hospice goes that step above Mm -hmm. and beyond to support Mm -hmm. because, I mean, families uh, grief stricken as well during this time. It must be a really, really difficult time. So to have, as you said, yeah. professionals there, that the hospice team is made <coughs> up of trained, qualified professionals, and that's you know the people who bring all of these um, supports together is just absolutely fantastic. So just now that we're on the subject a little bit, well, um, COVID has not escaped any of us, and whether it's a business or a charity, whatever it is, everybody's work has been impacted in some way just in terms of the daily day-to-day I suppose operational side of things how has the lockdown you know impacted patients staff um have you noticed a big change in terms of how you have to manage the system I'm sure it must have you know yeah. it came on everybody very quickly yeah um can you maybe let us know a little bit about that and how you dealt with it Okay, so if we maybe look at the patient side of things first. So when the pandemic started back in in March, and it it actually came on us all very quickly. Mm -hmm. You know, you could see it ramping up, but the severity of what actually happened came on, I think, everybody in Northern Ireland and certainly a lot of charities um, very quickly. So um, back in March, we literally went from normal operations overnight to something very, very different. Mm-hmm. And it was an extremely steep learning curve. 
Um, we obviously have to adhere to the guidance and keep up with the ever-changing advice and regulations that are coming out from the uh, the public health agency. Um, and, and of course we have to because it's all about keeping people safe but being able to provide the service in a, in a safe way. Hospice care is on the front line of the COVID-19 crisis. People are going to have specialist palliative care needs, whether there's a pandemic or not. So we're working hard to continue to keep patients, their families and staff safe while under the care of the Southern Area Hospice. Due to the Public Health Authority guidelines, we've had to introduce restricted visiting times, new protocols for hand washing and the wearing of face masks, and our front of house staff has been amazing in ensuring that visitors observe these new practices. Mm-hmm. Our inpatient unit is a, what we call an amber PPE area. So staff providing frontline services and support services within that environment are wearing PPE all the time in their, during their shifts. Brilliant. Okay. Um, so, I mean, yeah, you can just, it's hard to get your mind around how um, yeah. much organisational change and structural yeah. change has to go in overnight, as exactly. you say. Yeah. You know, and to be able to still provide that level of compassion, you know, to families and their loved ones and um, after somebody has, has passed on, I mean... To, to maintain that, but to also have to get your head around these new changes, make sure that everybody's safe. Your staff are obviously a priority. So mm. you can just see, um, the you know, your organisation is just a prime example of seeing that in action as a frontline yeah. service provider, yeah. you know. So, I mean, um, in terms of just the work and the day-to-day impact on, and, and this will continue, no doubt, Absolutely. Um, Liz, it's not going away overnight. There's no end in sight um, at all. We know the hospice, the Southern Area Hospice in, in, in our region, and just looking at Newry here, and I know it extends way beyond mm-hmm. that. It's just a cherished and valued institution and organisation. You know, since going back, you know, we always remember fundraising and mm-hmm. the community really seems to get together and rallies behind. And as you said, we all will know somebody who has to receive the palliative care and the services mm-hmm. that the hospice um, offers. But just, I suppose, looking at the fundraising aspect of it and maybe again, maybe a comment from yourself and just how the hospice has been so good at maintaining that position within the community yeah. and maybe how you see it going forward as well. Yeah. Well, you mentioned in your introduction that we need to fundraise 3.1 million mm-hmm. uh, this year. Um, so that's the income that we have to generate ourselves. It takes approximately 4.2 million to run the hospice each year. Um, we do receive some funding from governance sources, uh, but we need to raise almost 70% of our running costs. And that is a daunting task on an annual basis. It's an even more daunting wow. task yes. during a global uh, pandemic. We were delighted and um, there was a recent announcement of uh, some emergency funding for us from the Northern Ireland Executive. And we were also delighted that the Northern Ireland Executive uh, gave us some emergency funding in May. Um, that shows that we're living in unprecedented times, mm-hmm. but it also shows uh, the, the support and recognition um, of the government um, to the work that we do in hospice. We've had to step down all fundraising and retail uh, activities. So the funding that came from government sources was in recognition um, of that. Yeah. Um, 
So since the first down in first lockdown in March, the focus of us during the pandemic has been keep the inpatient operational, as as, as I've said. But we've mm-hmm. had to stand down all of our other um, services. And during the second wave, we're trying to get some of those services back, back up and running. But it is it has to be done in a safe uh, way. You asked me to make some comment on the um, fundraising. Mm-hmm. So to go back to that. We are humbled by the support that we have received from our our local communities. I've worked across the charity sector for almost 25 years and I've never worked in an organisation that is as heavily embedded and supported by its local community. It's it's, it's just simply amazing and that sometimes sounds trite but it's absolutely not. It really is simply uh, amazing. So I feel that it is attributed to the high level of care provided by our staff across mm-hmm. all departments mm-hmm. and the commitment from our volunteers, all 361 of them. 361 <laughs> volunteers. Oh <my> goodness. <laughs> so Fantastic. This inspires people to fundraise for us and it inspires yeah. people to talk about their experience for us and to advocate for us yeah. on our behalf. You know, so how well patients and families are treated leads to us being highly thought of, and this is mainly due to our staff and volunteers. And I, I can't thank them enough for everything that they they they, they do for us. Um, the community support. So literally overnight in March, we stood down um, all fundraising and uh, retail activities. Um, the community support during that first phase of lockdown and has continued. Okay. to this day and we are hoping it will continue yes. has been simply amazing so mm-hmm. we, we couldn't do our normal activities um, they then took it upon themselves to do things off their own initiative um, whether it be give us donations of PPE whether it be shaving heads which actually raised nearly 30,000 in wow. one case 30,000 <laughs> for shaving your head <laughs> Uh, so it's, it's oh, people are great. Yeah, it's just simply yeah. it's just simply amazing that people have taken up yes. the challenge of being innovative, using their own initiative, and and getting on with raising money for us. Much needed money, and I mean, yeah. and you, you, as you said, it's innovative. You know, using different ideas. It's yeah. it, you know, it makes it exciting for people to think outside the box. And yeah, yeah. it also generated a lot of fun for people at a time where fun That's is it. hard to find, and it it created a presence for us on social media yeah. uh, so we're, we it's, it's given us some things to think about because our presence on social media has never been greater and that's obviously delivering benefits for us in terms of you know setting out what we do as an organization but also about how you can support us as an or- yeah. organization so one of the learnings that we're taking out of this because it's really important you do find learnings to take away uh-huh. in difficult times one of the learnings we're taking away from this is that you know we need to look at how we do more things through uh, social media mm-hmm. and here so I am doing a podcast and a today. podcast the first today ever. is your first podcast <laughs> that is fantastic yeah. and I think you're so right I mean to take something positive away from yeah. these dark days that we've all experienced mm. yeah. but that's great because people you even see young people people who are you know involved in sports and you know have decided to go out into their back mm. garden and run a few laps and raise money and they get their friends supporting them on social media so it is a fantastic but that's that's so great to hear that that's something yeah. that you're and the other, and the other thing that was simply amazing as well is that our staff 
took up the challenge as well. So right. we had staff who walked a day every day in May yeah. uh, and raised money for us. One of our chaplains ran 5K wow. every day in a month. I can't remember what month it was. Yeah. But he ran. So our staff took it upon themselves to do things uh, for us and raise money and also in raising money, raised awareness for us. Oh, so it, it's That's really huge uplifting. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. So Liz, you mentioned the many, many volunteers there and I'm, I'm blown away by the number. Um, it's fantastic, but we know that um, you know the, the organisation depends heavily on volunteers. Um, just tell us a little bit about, more about the volunteers, because I know they're a huge part in yeah. the development. They're the integral and crucial to the delivery of patient care, the operation of the hospice and income generation. Our volunteers have been nominated for the Queen's Award for Voluntary Service. Right. Uh, this is the highest award given to volunteer groups across the UK to recognise outstanding work done in their own communities. Our nomination has been submitted and the winners will be announced in June 2021. 2021. Yeah. Okay. This nomination is a testament to the outstanding work that they do. We have several volunteers back working with us. We can't keep them away. (laughs) Even (laughs) a pandemic won't keep them away. So they're back working with us where it is safe and appropriate for them to do so. So they're working in our retail outlets. They're counting cash and they're uh, looking at charity box collections. They're offering counselling services and bereavement support groups. Um, So they're absolutely fantastic. And they work alongside our 100 staff in every way possible. Fantastic. But just your, your, this was your vision. It's a difficult time now. What do you see the, the few months ahead, you know, um, in terms of the organisation or is it a matter of taking it one, one day at a time just to kind of get over this difficult period? Well, it is a case of taking it one day at a time uh, at the minute, but mm-hmm. the part of my role and part of the senior team's role is that we have to look to the future mm-hmm. uh, and it, it is our job to try and plot a path through all of this. Things are going to be different mm-hmm. post-COVID. There will be a post-COVID, uh, but things are, things are going to be uh, somewhat different. But the hard reality is that a lot of families are going to continue to need hospice. A lot of families are going to have to have uh, the experience of hospice. So the demand for our services is growing. Absolutely. We were working on that basis before COVID yeah. and it, you know, it's going to become more of an issue post-COVID. Mm-hmm. So the number of people needing palliative care is growing. And that's because the population is growing, the ageing population is growing and people are, are living with more than one uh, condition and the complexity and interaction of those conditions is making palliative care uh, more challenging. Mm. So we're looking at what services we need to, to provide in the future. Uh, we know our inpatient unit will always be needed and demand for that will mm-hmm. continue to be high. We want to look at offering more respite services and we mm-hmm. want to look at expanding our services into uh, the community. So we're currently exploring how we are doing that and we're doing that in collaboration with other providers Brilliant. of palliative care in this um, area. Mm-hmm. It's my job as CEO to steer uh, the direction of the hospice with yeah. my team and with the board um, of the hospice and we um to do that, we'll be looking for ad- additional funding from government sources. We need to look at how we improve our facilities and support our staff and also how we uh, work uh, smarter. 
we are testing some things through the COVID time. So okay. when we look at our community services, we have started offering those on an appointment based service mm-hmm. to see how that works. And so far, so good. Good. Um, so th- that will be something that we will want to look at to mm-hmm. continue into uh, the future, but I'm confident that we have a fantastic team. Yeah. They're all so motivated and committed to the hospice that we will be able to adapt, we will move forward and will continue to be really, really good at what we do and accessible to those who, who need us. Fantastic. So obviously COVID, it impacted visits, I suppose, and mm. I imagine that it is so such a big part of the care that you provide as well to accommodate and, you know, make visitors feel welcome as well as much, you know, to visit their loved one in this very, very difficult time. Mm. Um, how has that been and have you any... News. Well, I've, I've mentioned, Sarah, about you know the precautions that we have to take, but mm-hmm. we, we've been able uh, to keep some visiting going, mm-hmm. and that's acting in accordance with government guidance. Sure. We've all heard the harrowing accounts from the general public of stories from families not being allowed into hospitals or care homes to spend time with a family member mm-hmm. who is dying. So, however, in hospice, in the pandemic, we have helped families spend that precious time with their loved one. We have celebrated birthdays and we've even had a pet, a dog, came to visit (laughs) his owner. And sometimes it's just these little things, a smile, a cup of tea or just quiet time watching TV together that means so much to patients and their loved ones. One of the examples of support from the public during the start of the pandemic was that we were given Facebook portals. Like what a fantastic gift to give us. Mm. This has allowed us to introduce visiting, you know, virtual yeah. visiting to our patients so that they could talk to anyone at any time. And that has proved a lifeline to patients and family members who have been unable to physically visit. So sometimes we have a massive impact on the family. So for example, last week, we received a beautiful hand-painted rainbow. We cared for this family's grandfather earlier this year. The family wrote all the names of the staff who had cared for their grandfather in the rainbow, and it is now now proudly displayed in our reception in the hospice. It's a simple but extremely poignant recognition of the work our staff did in a very difficult time. So lovely. Um, and just for people listening today, Liz, finally, how can they get involved? Um, mm-hmm. you know, is there anything they could do to really help provide immediate support if needed? Mm-hmm. I know it's difficult to volunteer and get out there and do things, but um, as well as fundraising, is there yeah. anything? Well, if anyone who is listening feels that they may or anyone they know may need our services, mm-hmm. please do not hes- hesitate to get in contact with us. So we have a web page when we have, um, we're on various social media media platforms if you know or have someone who's received a recent palette of diagnosis please get in touch with your gp and other health and social care professionals who are currently working with you and ask to be referred to our services and if you would like to support us you can do that in many ways so some of them are you can donate uh, you can volunteer you can sign up for our lottery and you can visit our shops so we three shops in Newry, rathfer island and bambridge and mm-hmm. if you are a company or a business and you feel you would like to support us, please get in touch. Absolutely. And all of these details are by um, are via, available via the, the website. And we'll also be sharing them as part of um, promotion of this podcast as well, mm-hmm. Liz. Can I, can I just take the opportunity to say that um, 
there is an old kind of saying that bad times bring out the best in, in, in people and that uh, that we're actually seeing that day and daily yeah. in in the hospice. So I would like to take this opportunity to pay you know a, a fantastic thanks and to recognise the commitment of our staff, no matter what they do within the organisation, they're all providing playing a valuable role within the organisation to deliver services to our patients. I want to thank our volunteers and I want to thank our many thousands of uh, supporters. We can't do what we do without you doing what you do for us. So thank you very much. Absolutely. Well, as I'm sure everybody enjoyed hearing that in such a, I mean, giant of an organisation and the work that you provide is just invaluable. Um, it's been so lovely having you here today um, on this, this drizzly Friday coming into to, to Christmas time. So it's been really nice to get an insight. And again, people, you know, just reach out, businesses, anybody listening, we still need your help here. And um, you can see that the work that um, the Southern Area Hospice is putting in. So um, this podcast is to raise awareness for the charity, but also to raise much needed funds. So you can also contact us on www.granitepodcaststudio.com um, for any of the details of our charities and to make a donation as well for any of the contributors that took part today. So just um, before I sign off, I wanted to firstly thank Liz for joining me again today. It's been great. And to thank everyone who's listened to the first season of the Just Cause podcast um, and were able to make donations. It's all to worthy and amazing charities that took part sharing their fantastic stories. I've really enjoyed it and learned so much about our local organisations and charities that are doing fantastic things. So that's it for me now. Um, But stay tuned because we'll have another series coming up soon via the Granite Podcast Studio right here in the heart of Murray. This podcast was recorded in Granite Podcast Studio. Interested in starting up your own podcast but don't know how? Granite Podcast Studio can help. Record your podcast in our state-of-the-art studio, which is based in the heart of Newry City. Our studio has cutting-edge and user-friendly technology and can seat up to four people. We also provide an editing service for our team using your guidance and editing notes to provide you with a flawless finished product, leaving your listeners wanting more. For more information on how you can get started, visit www.granitepodcaststudio.com.